What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. When you start right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grosso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, turmoil at the White House in the midst of key trade talks with Canada. The administration is dealing with another bombshell as a staffer goes rogue. We've got the details. Plus, Nike stock rebounding as it releases its controversial ad featuring Colin Kaepernick this afternoon. And one trader is calling it a dangerous move. But first, we start with the top tech executives having their day on the Hill in Washington, D.C. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey at the tail end of six and a half hours of testimony. That's between both the House and the Senate. Let's get to Julia Borson, who's on the ground with all the details. Julia. Melissa, that's right. Jack Dorsey is still here in uh, this hearing room behind me testifying before the House Energy and Commerce Committee. It has been a very long day for him because, remember, he started his day sharing the stage with Sheryl Sandberg, the two of them testifying before the Senate Intel Committee. That hearing was about their work to prevent election interference. They said they're collaborating with each other as well as government agencies and cybersecurity companies to make sure they're doing everything they can with new technology as well as with employees to prevent interference with the upcoming midterm elections. Let me be clear. We are more determined than our opponents and we will keep fighting. When bad actors try to use our site, we will block them. When content violates our policies, we will take it down. And when our opponents use new techniques, we will share them so we can strengthen our collective efforts. After that testimony, Jack Dorsey came over here to the Rayburn House office building. He's now wrapping up about three and a half hours of testimony. It is still ongoing. And this House Energy and Commerce Committee um, hearing is focused on bias at Twitter when it comes to how it moderates and blocks certain content um, and certain users of the platform. Now, Twitter shares dipped today as Dorsey made it clear that he's investing to clean up all of those issues, no matter the short-term cost uh, to the company. Take a listen. Our singular objective as a company right now is to increase the health of public conversation. And we realize that that will come at short-term cost. We realize that we will be removing accounts. Google was notably absent from these hearings today. The Senate Intel Committee this morning leaving a seat empty to indicate that it invited Alphabet CEO Larry Page, who declined, and the committee rejected Google's offer to send its policy SVP Kent Walker. Now, Google was criticized both in the Senate and in the House hearings for failing to send a C-suite executive. And while Sandberg and Dorsey were pressed on a range of issues, they were also praised for coming here to answer a range of different kinds of questions. Melissa, back over to you. Julia, and this all as uh, the DOJ is indicating that they will uh, examine whether or not social media giants are, are stifling viewpoints. It's just, I mean, th 
the hearings may be almost wrapping up, Julie, but what's the next step? Well, uh, first of all, back to the Google point, it'll be interesting yeah. to see if Google is called again. And a, a lot of the questions in these hearings were answered with Dorsey and Sandberg saying, we're going to have to follow up and send you more information. Now, interestingly, Dorsey, who's been pressed for the past three plus hours on the question of bias, said that when it comes to examining bias in algorithms, that they design the algorithms to be fair, but they are still in the early days of really understanding the issues of bias in algorithms. I'm saying it's a very complex sort of mechanical issue that they're, they're starting to study. So I think we'll hear more about this issue of biased algorithms um, and this understanding that it's not just people making choices that are biased, but algorithms really need to be dissected in how they're programmed to, to approach the platform and approach users on the platform. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston uh, joining us from uh, Rayburn over in Congress. The uh, social stocks in the spotlight getting slammed. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Google all under pressure today. The Nasdaq as a whole falling about a percent, leading the market lower. Is the party over for these high-flying tech stock? It is worth noting, Guy, that Twitter um, closed close to the lows of the session off just by about 20 cents. Yeah, Twitter so. down 6%. I don't think the party's over. I, so in order, I, and I got to be, you know, got to be honest and earnest about this. So Facebook, when Zuckerberg... Uh, testified back in April, March. The stock was trading 155 or so. I didn't think there was any way whatsoever that stock was going to rally from there. Traded north of $200, so it's dead wrong. Obviously, saw what happened last quarter. What I'll say again is we are now lower in Facebook than we were after they reported that release when it was down 25%. And I happen to think that Facebook has existential risk that takes it back to that level, which will be very compelling on valuation. I think Twitter, out of all of them, might be one of the most compelling stories at this price given that I think they still are one of the unique properties out there. And what I find fascinating is Google, who wasn't there, stock was only down 1%. So if I had to line them up in order, I would buy Twitter first, Google second, Facebook Why third. doesn't Twitter have, a, have an existential issue? I think, I think they do have an existential issue, but I think that they were hit uh, originally or they were in favor with Facebook. We sort of went through this already once. Uh -huh. I did think it acted weak today. So I, I, was, I wasn't confident at the end of the day the way Twitter acted. Social acted weak. But if you look at what performed last month, what performed this month, if you look at it on a chart, you have technology out of favor. That was your big winner in August. It's out of favor this month. If you look at your retail stocks, your home builders, those are what's rallying today. But I think it might be one or two day. All right, you tell me that a company is going to spend more money, but we don't know exactly how much mm -hmm. is needed to be spent to clean up a problem, mm -hmm. and that there could be bias in the algorithms that they don't even know about. I, I don't know if I'm comfortable with those premises. I think Are it's you? a higher risk right now, in my opinion, uh -huh. to Twitter. And the reason I say that is right now we've got the fake accounts to deal with and the idea that they're going to start spending. And he said it doesn't matter in the short term. Well, isn't that sort of similar to what we heard from Facebook after we actually got through the earnings call? Mm -hmm. And then suddenly they talked about how much money they were going to be spending, far more than anybody ever expected. And that's really what sold off Facebook once again to give it that next push to the downside. So I look at Facebook, I see all the different verticals that they've got. And I think they've already taken the pain. I think that's also why Facebook was down far less percentage-wise today than Twitter. But Twitter, it just it does make you wonder. And I've said this many times before, and I've been pushed back on some of the guys on the desk even, when I've said, I think they could have 30% of their accounts could be fake. 
I mean, I honestly look at Twitter and you look at how many different accounts are out there that absolutely aren't Yeah, but somebody, isn't it more about right? the news service that Twitter is offering? So even Which if those is great. accounts, I, so I think it's more about the news service that they're offering. So the accounts that you know are verified, I think right. that's the strength behind Twitter. It's not so much the fluff But it's followers. the spending that's going to follow now, according to what Jack was saying today. I mean, the amount of spending could be extreme. Hmm. I don't own Twitter. I think it's the most expensive. I have Google, my biggest position, then Facebook. Here's the pushback on maybe why mm -hmm. you would want to buy it. If you were concerned about Dorsey doing a good job today and you thought, all right, if he's not going to admit to enough, they're really going to come after him with regulations, right? I thought he actually did an excellent job. And I think they, I think, I, don't, I can't speak for all of the members of the Congress, but you can see on some of them, or, or the, the House, that they believe that he takes this very seriously, right. right? And that they want to try to do the right thing, which sort of takes some of the pressure off of the legislators to try to get something done, which is nearly impossible. So I think for that reason, that was a, I think he did a good job. And, and that would be my bullish case for Twitter. All that aside, though, they're all in a vacuum right now. There's bad news only until earnings, I think which is not going to come for another, I think, third week of October. Of October. So there'll be, I don't know, sideways. But where or, do you get the performance other than tech in the marketplace? If you're looking for any tech type of... Tech X-Fang, maybe? Yeah, I mean, uh, there is know. a wide world of technology outside of And they all got knocked down Facebook, today with Workday, right? So you, so you had that... It was Amazon, that. too. It wasn't just so... No, it was right everything. So my, my, right, my point is, is it... Can it be longer than a one or two day or three day event because you're not getting that superior growth? We had Staples lead, we had Utilities lead. Both of them are either down 4% or flat on year. So you think basically. this is sort of like the last reason or the, the reason to rotate out of tech? It, it could be, but I doubt that when people look after a week, they're not going to get growth of 20 to 25 percent at reasonable valuations in most of these names. So I think it's going to be a one or two day or three day event, and then they'll just go right back into I agree. those tech well, names. We're not. This isn't day one. If you look at where Google has been in the last, this is like day I don't know 10. I mean, this is down four or five percent. Mm -hmm. That's a big move. So even though I think there'll be sort of a vacuum, I would not be a seller of Google down here. No way. Pete's right about it. Uh, Facebook. I mean, Instagram is going to be huge. They talked about how they're going to monetize it, have a shot. So no question about it. In the short term, though, I still think there's risk. And to push back, Steve made a similar point. I don't think Twitter should have ever talked about daily average users, monthly average users. Google doesn't do it. Gene Munster is going to be on, and he can address that, I'm sure. But it's the wrong metric to use for them. It's a delivery system, and I think people have to sort of wrap their head around that. If they were to get away from it, if they were to say we're going to stop reporting DAUs, MAUs, it might hurt for a couple days in terms of stock performance, but I think in the long run it helps that company immeasurably. Do you have to be logged in to do a Google search? That's the reason why. When you do searches on Twitter, you're not logged into Twitter, so it doesn't matter whether you're an active user or not. You could not even be a user and search yeah, on don't Twitter. Don't you think at this point, though, the investor concern is really just about whether or not there's going to be regulation and whether or not they're going to have to spend a whole lot more than we ever think that they're going to spend? I mean, right now it's not... I don't yes, think anybody's thinking about daily active users versus monthly active users. No. That's sort of like now the minutia. Here we are talking about big issues that really could change the way they do their business, right? How they conduct their business, how they operate the to company. To be the valuation of Twitter, shouldn't there be an inherent discount? Higher. The valuation is higher. The uh -huh. metrics are higher, which makes me far more comfortable with an Alphabet and, and uh, Facebook. Right.
Should, well, should there be a, a further discount, in your view, to any of these stocks because well, of the I, unknown? Well, I, I think Facebook, the discount's already been, for the most part, in my okay. opinion, most of it's already been priced in. And Sheryl Sandberg actually even said herself today that the idea that, hey, look, we, we'd actually be open to some sort of regulation. Right. Hold on. Yep. Uh, the president is speaking, apparently, and uh, we want to listen into him live right now. Uh, almost 4 million jobs created since the election, of which many of you Americans now employed than ever recorded in our history. So we have more people working today than at any point ever in our history. We've created 400,000 manufacturing jobs. Manufacturing jobs are growing at the fastest pace in more than 30 years. Economic growth last quarter was 4.2 percent. And as you people know, it was headed down big. And it was a low number, very low number. It would have been, in my opinion, it would have been less than zero. It was heading to negative numbers. New employment claims recently hit a, a think of that, the unemployment picture in the country is the best it's been in 49 years. African-American unemployment lowest in the history of our country. Asian-American unemployment lowest in the history of our country. Hispanic-American unemployment lowest in the history of our country. I mean, I'm just looking at these just point after point. Uh, under my administration, veterans' unemployment reached its lowest in many, many years. The, uh, let's see, almost 3.9 million Americans have been lifted off food stamps just since my election. Then you go into all of the benefits that we got from the tax cuts. All of you people benefited tremendously from the tax cuts. Thank you, sir. You go into regulation cuts. You go into right to try. Right to try is where you have the right, if a person's terminally ill, you have a right to go and try and see whether or not uh, a drug that's uh, not approved yet can be used and utilized. They didn't allow that. A point after point, getting rid of the individual mandate, the most unpopular thing there is in Obamacare, coming up with new health care plans. We've never had a period, even if you look at the Olympics, got the Olympics, the uh, World Cup just got, you just saw them, they were in my office, got the World Cup. Nobody has, and we have started the wall, nobody has ever done in less than a two-year period what we've done. So when you tell me about some anonymous source, We've been listening to the president answering some questions at an event with local sheriffs. Uh, he's been talking about how strong the economy is, pointing to various um, figures on unemployment, various races, and how low it has been. We'll go back to the event if there is any more um, that we need to hear. Actually, we're going to go back to it. He's uh, addressing The New York Times. Let's, let's listen in. Six and a half years from now. <laughs> The New York Times and CNN and all of these phony media outlets will be out of business, folks. They'll be out of business because there'll be nothing to write and there'll be nothing of interest. So nobody has done what this administration has done. And I agree, it's different from an agenda, which is much different than ours, and it's certainly not your agenda, that I can tell you. Thank you. It's about open borders. It's about letting people flee into our country. It's about a disaster and crime for our country. So they don't like Donald Trump, and I don't like them because they're very dishonest people. Remember this also about the New York Times. When I won, they were forced to apologize to their subscribers. 
They wrote a letter of apology. It was the first time anybody's ever done it because they covered the election incorrectly. So if the failing New York Times has an anonymous editorial, can you believe it? Anonymous, meaning gutless, a gutless editorial. Uh, we're doing a great job. The poll numbers are through the roof. Our poll numbers are great. And guess what? Nobody is going to come close to beating me in 2020 because of what we've done. We've done more than anybody ever thought possible in — it's not even two years. So thank you very much. Appreciate it. We wanted to get back to that because this is President Trump's uh, first comment about the opinion piece that was published in the New York Times anonymously. Um, it was uh, signed a, a senior White House administration official. Let's get to Eamon Javers uh, for more on the story. Eamon. Yeah, Melissa, that was an astonishing moment right there. You saw the president standing in the middle of the room at the center of the carpet defending himself and his presidency against what he called a gutless editorial anonymously published in the New York Times, criticizing the New York Times and the media generally for its criticism of him, defending his administration in terms of its economic successes and also his policy wins. Uh, the president uh, very, very defensive there and also uh, very, very supported there in that room. You heard the cheers from the group of sheriffs who had been assembled for that particular event. Uh, this is a crowd uh, that really likes this president of the United States, and he was basking in their approval there on a day in which uh, he has been forced to respond to this Bob Woodward book, uh, which is, includes some scathing criticism of him, allegedly from his own uh, own members of his cabinet and his administration. And now this anonymous administration official uh, saying that the president is, in effect, doing harm to the country and that there is a group of officials inside the president's own administration who have decided uh, to simply thwart him from within until his administration is over. It's an astonishing moment in this presidency. We've never seen anything like it, Melissa. All right, Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers uh, coming to us from the White House. The president specifically said about the New York Times that they will be out of business, that the New York Times does not like him, he does not like the New York Times, and that they are very dishonest people. Um, will this affect, and we're going to look at this through the lens of the stock market, of the markets, of the economy, will this affect the Trump agenda, which has been positive as a whole for the stock market, Pete? You know, it's it's interesting. Every time the president either tweets or just seems to want to come out and speak, you know, I, I, the, many of the things that he's saying right now, he can back up in terms of the economic situation. But you just wonder, are we in a better position in terms of some of the trade or not? And that's something I think if he can get through this negotiation, a lot of people will be applauding how he's doing if he can get through with Canada, with China and all the rest of it, and maybe bring down some of the negativity that we're hearing right now about the president and what's happening abroad. Because as a mark from the market's perspective, that's what we're all looking at right now. Yeah. Anonymous op-ed comes out, the Bob Woodward book comes out, and we are weeks away from the midterm elections, which they're going to be close. I mean, as it is, they were already called to be very close in terms of whether or not Republicans could hold on to a majority there. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Impact? I think it will probably blow over quickly because I think, I mean, people, he is the most divisive, and I don't say that in the way we talk about it normally. I mean, people feel very strongly one way or another. And I don't think as damning as this editorial, and as unusual as that is, I think that the ones who love him, they're still going to love him. And those who, were, who don't absolutely won't, no matter what, no matter how good the economy is. No matter what. And those who love him, no matter what, they're sticking with him. I, I don't think it t derails any of the agenda. The agenda is 
a bipartisan effect. Democrats have been complaining about unfair trade with China. Mm -hmm. So Republicans have been complaining about unfair trade with China. So I don't think it derails that. I think the conclusion to that will be a rip higher to new highs within the marketplace. So I think heading into it, you're going to have a lot of headlines that are tradable. I don't think that any of them are realistically long-term, long-lasting effects on the market. So you're saying it's all about trade? Just so I, I, think it's, I, I think it's think about so trade. Too. I think I, it's once we get a resolution to that, I don't think it, the midterms, it's almost as if the Republicans have conceded, quasi-conceded the House. That's the assumption. That's, that's the assumption. The I don't right think now. that's the case. I think that you're, when you listen to the media, I think there's a quasi-concession. On behalf of the Republicans, I don't think. So, if that happens, does that, I mean, in terms of getting tax cuts 2.0 across, in terms of a potential infrastructure plan, that's threatened, no? It's, I mean, if, if that consensus, if that thought. There is a thought that the they're going to hold back lose. on tax 2.0 uh -huh. because they don't want to create an issue going into the midterm election. So, that could already be, you know, off the, uh, off the whiteboard, so to speak. Whether trade induced or not, to me, the real concerns. Is the fact that emerging markets continue to break down, that global currency, uh, the volatility in currencies is at an alarming rate. Mary Erdos talked about it mm -hmm. delivering out for that day. She talked about that being one of their major concerns. I think we think, maybe correctly, by the way, that our market's impervious to that. I would push back and say at a certain point, it's going to matter. I'm just not sure what point we are in that sort of timeline yet. One last thing I would yeah. say, Jeremy Siegel today on the noon show was talking about exactly the markets he talked about. If we work out with Canada, and we work it out with China, he sees 10% upside. 10%. 10%. All right, coming up. We'll have more on the uh, tech exec executives testifying on Capitol Hill. Gene Munster will join us to grade each executive's performances, plus Nike launching its new controversial ad campaign featuring former NFL star Colin Kaepernick, and one trader is calling it a dangerous move. He will explain. And later, Guy Dami here pounding the table on one high-flying food stock he thinks is about to head even higher. He'll give us his fast pitch. We're live uh, from the Times Square in uh, the Nasdaq market side in New York City. Much more fast money right after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. If you're a girl from Compton, don't just become a tennis player. Become the greatest athlete ever. Yeah, that's more like it. So don't ask if your dreams are crazy. Ask if they're crazy enough. There's a sneak peek of Nike's brand new controversial ad featuring former 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick. This spot is scheduled to run tomorrow night during the NFL's Falcons Eagles season opener on NBC. Shares of the shoe giant finishing up a half a percent today, this after declining about 3% in yesterday's session. What's your take? You know, it's, it's such a dangerous move that they're making right now to go in this direction because it, all you've got to do is look back at 2016 and 17 seasons and you can see that ratings have dropped. Last year, they were down another 10%. Super Bowl was down 7%. So, and, and it's not all attributed to the kneeling, but I think that's what everybody is looking at, and they see this, what this ad campaign is doing, and, and it's, it's going to be divisive. Now, the one thing that I do, first of all, it's a bold move by Nike, and they're not somebody who hasn't put out some bold things in the past as well. So they've embraced 
a lot of different areas where a lot of other folks probably wouldn't have gone. But North America is only 40% right now of their revenue, so it could impact... But the turnaround the, in the stock has been because of the inflection that we saw, we've seen in I North think that's America. Part, I think that was part of it, Mel, but uh -huh. quite honestly, I still think it was the growth they're seeing internationally and the, and the trajectory of that growth in China, in, in other emerging markets, in Europe, mm -hmm. in the Asian markets as well. So I think there's a lot of reasons. 60% is coming from international. They don't care about the kneeling in the NFL, and they probably don't even, many of them probably are not paying attention to Colin Kaepernick. They probably don't so, even know who he is. Right. right. So I mean, he hasn't from played that football since 2016. Right. So from that perspective, it won't hurt them nearly as bad. But I still think it's going to have some impact on the stock. Are you saying they're going to lose the NFL contract? Is that what you started out with? Or is that a potential? That they're going to lose the NFL yeah, contract? I, I didn't know where you were going no, with that I'm not, No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that the backlash could be pretty negative in terms for of... For the NFL and for ratings. Right. But for Nike, I, it could be okay. It, it might not be saying? as painful for Nike. But I oh. still think this is a very dangerous move for Nike to do. I don't know. This is, I mean, Tyler made a good point. It's like a poke in the eye to Roger Goodell. A little bit. Running this but I don't think season that's, opener. I don't think that's two what they're... Two-minute ad. A two-minute yeah. ad. Do you think that's ad. what they were attempting to do? I, I don't would know. say, listen, and I respect people that say they'll never... Steve said it last night. He's not going to buy another Nike product, which is fine. I'm, I'm, I hear him 100%. My pushback would be, I don't think any merchant out there knows their co customer as well as Nike does. And they've probably been working on this, not for the last six days, probably the last six to nine months. And I'm sure they did every channel check and every uh, focus group you could possibly do. So I understand, in my opinion, they said we're going to take the short-term pain, which came in the form of the move yesterday, for what they deem to be the next, their next client base, which is millennial, these Gen Xers. So I think it's actually going to work the, for them. The overall message of the ad is very inspirational. I mean, you saw the, the bid on Serena. Right. That was amazing. Yes. Well, Serena's amazing, but yeah. that's a different show. But I agree with what Guy is saying. I think also, do you remember the Pepsi ad and how just disastrously mm -hmm. it was received so poorly, they pulled it within a day. Right. Within a day. So you can bet Nike was watching all day yesterday. How is this going for us? How is this going? Do we, you know, do we push ahead? And clearly they think they should, right? Because they're doing it. Although yesterday stock was down about 3%. Now, the market was down though, as well. Yeah, 3%. No, I understand. And it's coming from a higher level because it's yeah, just pushing up against highs. I don't think they're looking highs. at the, how, yeah. you know, the stock being down 3%. I think they're looking at much broader than how did the stock do on that one day. I think they're looking at how is our core customer or who we think is going to be oh, our, core customer, right. our core customer. Who we want our core customer to be. Exactly. How are they receiving this message? Right. And obviously. Well enough that they're pushing going forward ahead. with yep. it. Coming up, the emerging market crush continues, but a top technician says a global sell-off may not be as bad as it looks. He will join us. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. What are they doing here? They're selling, Mortimer. Well, that's ridiculous. Okay, it's not that ridiculous. The crypto universe is in a selling frenzy, as Wall Street could be about to turn its back on the Bitcoin ballers. We've got those details. Plus, Gaia Dami is stepping up to the plate with one left-for-dead stock he says is about to crush the competition. He'll give us his fast pitch. Much more Fast Money right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Trade war fears taking the global markets by storm. In the past few months, the world's biggest emerging markets have seen a meltdown. Brazil and China plunging 35 and 24 percent apiece from their 52-week highs. European markets also suffered, with Italy down 20 percent from the highs. South Korea and Japan have seen significant drops as well. Amidst this global sell-off, our next guest says U.S. stocks are where you want to be. Let's go off the charts with Chris Verone of Strategus. Hey, Chris. Hey, Melissa. How are you? And, yeah, I think when we look at EM right now, as we know, certainly a tough year, 52 back in January, all the way down to 42 today. I think the big question for investors is, does this spread home? Does this come home? Does this weakness show up with U.S. stocks? So I want to show you three charts that we believe continue to support the case for being long U.S. And the first is the fact that despite all the stress globally, the hedges here back at home really haven't worked. This is stocks relative to bonds. Stocks are making new highs relative to bonds. So defensive trades are not working. Stocks relative TLT. Along those lines, if we look at paper versus rock, banks relative to gold, very similar message. Sideways all year, just starting to break out. So another example of a risk-on asset banks breaking out relative to gold. We think that's a positive. And then lastly, if we look at the industrials, very important group in our work, a sector that was previously impacted by EM, this sector's actually getting better. This is a three-month relative high for the industrials versus the S&P. This is names like Caterpillar and Deer. We think ultimately getting better. And we'll talk about one in particular. Here's Deer, D-E. 30% correction this year. I thought very important bottom back here on August 17th on three times average daily volume. The stock is on the verge of breaking out of this downtrend. We think you get this above 148, it bodes well for industrials, it bodes well for the market. EM stress is not spreading home. Chris, come on over. Wait a second. Don't Bring you poll the, uh, poll the team? No. Should we have Chris Nancy come into the executive decision? Thank right you, there. Nancy. Great to see you. Man. So does this mean that there is a rotation going on or rotation that you would recommend? I mean, if we're going to value industrials, we're going to value banks. Is this at the expense of, say, technology? Yeah, uh, I think it may be. But these are sectors, both industrials and banks, that have quietly been improving really all summer. If you look at the response of the industrials post-earnings, it was the sector that, that really worked best relative to anything else. I think bellwether stocks like Caterpillar and Deer and Triple M and Honeywell, the transports have had a better tone about them here. We see the strength in the rails. We see the strength with the airlines. This is a sector that's getting better. Then you look at the banks. Bank of America back above 31, J.P. Morgan flirting with new highs. The regionals have acted well. So I think the punchline is the stress that we've seen from EM doesn't seem to be coming back home. And I think, if anything, some of the 
really shakeouts you've seen in some beaten down groups are probably viable here. So how does tech look these days? Um, it's getting more narrow. I don't think it's finished. Uh, frankly, the semis the last couple of days have been pretty good, despite some of the weakness that we've seen in the social names. I would also add some of the old line stocks, like a Cisco and a Qualcomm, actually improving here. So there seems to be a changing of leadership within tech. I don't think the sector as a whole uh, is done quite yet. So, Chris, when you look at emerging markets yeah. and when you look at EEM, which is heavily Asia-dependent, you look at a stock like, and you drill down a little deeper, Alibaba, yeah. which has been the poster child for the, the tariff uh, trade woes and everything else. Where do you think we go if that rips higher? Yeah. You could see the equity market catch down in the U.S. to that market. I'm not as quite convinced uh, of that thesis. I would look at it this way. S&P up 8% roughly year to date. China down 20. I think it's pretty clear the market's perception of who's winning this trade war. I think if you look at the flows into EM, you've seen such an exodus of money over the last number of months. The bar for an upside surprise is probably pretty low as we move into the back half of the year here. So let me ask you something yeah. like a cat. If you're looking, yeah. that has a lot of exposure outside of the United States. Does that then make it not well, one that you'd want to avoid for something? Sure, like I, I, I think what's entity? really notable is the last week or two in particular, as EM has seemingly gotten worse, as Europe has gotten worse, cat hasn't. Right? So there seems to be an early message there that maybe the weakness in those parts of the world might be overdone. All right. Chris, um, thank, you. thank you. Good to see you. Chris Verone of Strategus. Breaking it down. You know, we do As this, this we do this, what is that segment we do on the show where you get <laughs> a mitt many. and a ball? It's called Power Pitch. And Pedro over there, Power Pitch Fast Caterpillar, pitch. a week or so ago, I lose track of time. I'm getting old, you know. But he mentioned, uh, he mentioned valuation. <laughs> and he mentioned, and we talked about the fact that they have this humongous stock buyback, $4.5 billion left on the, the last one, another $10 billion on top. So I think in terms of what Chris just said, in terms of Pedro's Power Pitch, Caterpillar looks pretty interesting. All right. Still ahead, the crypto space sinking today and reports Goldman is ditching plans for a Bitcoin trading desk. But one Wall Street analyst who said crypto could be a $10 trillion industry just earlier this year says it doesn't matter to Bitcoin's bottom line. He'll be here. Plus, Jack Dorsey getting grilled on the Hill after a long day of testimony. So how did he do? Tech guru Gene Munster will give us his take when Fast returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey finishing up his afternoon of testimony in front of the House, this after a morning in front of the Senate. Let's bring in Loop Ventures founder Gene Munster for his take on today's testimonies and what it could mean for big tech. So, Gene, what's your takeaway? What do you tell investors? Well, I think that this cloud is going to blow over for, at least for Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I think that they have other problems beyond what happened today. But our general sense is that we're just not big believers in their themes more broadly. But I think that the stuff that happened today is going to blow over. But Google, it's not going to blow over. And I think that Google did uh, part, but they should have showed up. And ultimately, I think you're probably going to see more questions directed at Google. Because remember that Facebook, uh, uh, that Facebook uh, addressed the key questions. Uh, YouTube still has accounts that are being created and that can influence some of these elections. So there's unanswered questions. So the Google piece is yet to come. In terms of Twitter, though, Gene, I mean, are you concerned that sort of what, had, what happened with Facebook in terms of the investor concerns about spending could also grip Twitter now that we hear Jack Dorsey essentially saying we're going to have to spend more and also acknowledging that there could be bias in the algorithms, which is not something that we heard before. I mean, to try and figure out whether or not there are bias in the algorithms, the algorithm is the bread and butter, right, of the business. 
It is, and, and uh, Jack was very clear that free speech is kind of their central uh, point, and they need to do some catch-up, and that's what they're talking about here. But the scope of this is really hard to determine. I don't think it's fully priced into Twitter. In other words, I think when they do ultimately report their September quarter, some of that spending may surprise investors even more than what happened today. If you look at what Facebook is then, obviously much bigger platform. It's about six times the size of Twitter. But if you look at what happened with Facebook, uh, they 20,000 additional people to monitor content. Uh, the spend has been uh, a dramatic impact on their bottom line, and I think that we're just scratching the surface when it comes to Twitter. All right, Gene, we want you to be the professor now and grade the performance of the CEO. Let's start off with Sheryl Sandberg. What grade would you give her? She gets an A minus, and uh, watching Cheryl is like watching an assassin at work here. She ex knew exactly, was sympathetic to the senators, and my bet is she runs for governor of California in 2026. Jack Dorsey, what grade? B minus. Uh, Jack stood for what Twitter believed in, but didn't quite resonate with some of the senators, and they obviously have more work to do in terms of improving their platform to eradicate some of this influence. And I know Google didn't send an executive. They tried to send their SVP, but uh, the committee didn't want any part of that. Uh, what grade would you give Google? So they fail, and I think some people would say they get an incomplete score, but we decided to give them an F. And the reason is that when the government calls, when Senate calls, show up, find a way to make it work. I mean, you got to wonder what, what the schedules were like for neither of the CEOs to actually show up. I mean, there doesn't seem like there's any good excuse there. In terms of the questions that Congress missed, what would you have asked? Well, I think they started to scratch the surface around bots. And keep in mind, when you're interacting with different accounts on Facebook or Twitter, sometimes you're interacting with uh, not a human, with a bot. And I think kind of really getting more along the lines of, of what that piece uh, that could have been helpful, I think, for the senators. And separately, it would have been nice to know what some of the senators were thinking about how they view this regulation around what these platforms are doing. So almost that Facebook and uh, Twitter needed to ask a question to them just more broadly. That's still a big open-ended question. Uh, Cheryl was clear that they are doing their self-policing and don't, uh, don't need to do anything more, Uncle Sam. Uh, but that was a big open-ended question that still could weigh on some of these stories over the next 6 to 12 months. All right. Gene, thank you so much. Gene Munster thank of you. Blue Ventures with his take on the testimony. Um, and I want you guys now to grade the grades. It's like a game within a game. Um, what did you think of Gene's, Gene's grade? F. Yeah. F of the F. Or the Facebook grade? Well, they deserve the F. Google. I mean, Google, yeah. right. I, as a shareholder, I'm disappointed, very disappointed. I mean, I think you go there, you know, you kind of take what they, your lashes, and then you move on. And that would be far less dramatic than this, right? I mean, that shot of the empty chair is, that's not a great image at all for them. We had, think, we had senators say they were arrogant. I mean, the real just sort of, um, you know, taking Google to task for not sending anyone. Rightfully so, yeah. right? I, th so that is really disappointing. I think Sheryl Sandberg's very, I mean, she's very smart. She's, she also looks very, very studied, right? Right, that she's, she knew exactly what she was gonna say, well-prepared, knew what she wanted to get across. I would say, yeah, A minus, A. 
Probably likes A's. I could see her wanting to go back. Why didn't I get well, an A? Why would How you do want I an A minus if right. there's an A out there? Pete, yeah. what do you make of the grades? You know, I think the Twitter, the B minus, makes total sense. I thought Jack Dorsey did a fantastic job. But the one negative is, and I think he was just being very blunt, honest, they're going to have to spend some money. And because of that, we saw what happened with Facebook. Gene pointed that out as well. I think that that's going to be something that's going to impact people more. When they see the actual numbers, what they're going to have to spend to actually do what they would like to do to kind of clean this up. Shouldn't he get an A event for honesty? Well, he... I, I would think that I think his delivery should was be great. an A at that I, point. I don't know if I want to give him an A for that, though. I, I, I think in this particular <laughs> case, maybe he sort of moved around <laughs> that. Right. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out what you mean by who wouldn't, who, why wouldn't you want an A minus? I would kill for an A minus. <laughs> Guess if your base is a B. All right. I wish. One trader just made a $7 million bet on a rebound ahead for Facebook. All right, Dan Nathan is over at the Plasma to break it down. Hi, Dan. Hey, guys. How are you? It's not just a $7 million bet. It's a bet that is way up and out, especially on a day that the stock closed on its lows, closed down at a four-month low, down 17% from the all-time highs made in July. Options volume ran really hot. It was about one and a half uh, average daily volume. But there was this one trade that you're talking about that really stuck out to options traders. Um, it was an opening buy in January 2020 expiration. That's 17 months from now. Um, a trader paid $3.50 for 20000 of the Jan 220 270 strike calls. Those break even at 273.50, up 60 percent from the current trading levels, up 25 percent from the levels that we were at in July. And this is not a great way to make a bullish bet if you're not already there. But the main point here is I suspect this is a very long holder levering up the position. He thinks this stock or she is way, way overdone and sees much higher highs out into 2020. Um, I just want to kind of go to the chart here because this is really important. When we talk about what is a good probability bet. The options market is only saying there's about a 15 percent probability that these options are in the Money on Jan 2020. Here is this massive gap, obviously, from July. That's when the company guided to the fact that they're going to be spending a lot more money than investors had thought to kind of get this uh, privacy issue uh, under control. The stock, like I said, closed at all-time low, four-month lows here. This gap from the April uh, earnings event is probably the next stop. That's at 160, and then obviously traders are eyeing 150 to the downside. Uh, one more point here, when we look at the next chart, this is basically the all-time chart. It's linear here. Obviously, here's that 150 level, really good support. When the stock was at the all-time highs back in July at 218, those January 2020 270 strike calls were trading at 15 bucks. When we talk about leverage, that is what I suspect the sort of leverage that a long holder is looking to get on a big, big move back to new highs over the next year and a half or so. Thanks for that, Dan. Nice to see you. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Still ahead, Bitcoin spiraling today on reports. Goldman is pulling plans to open a crypto trading desk. But one Wall Street analyst says there's something about the report investors are getting all wrong. He'll be here to explain when Fast Money returns. Welcome oh. back. Is, is Wall Street all out of love with crypto? Bitcoin fell almost 6% today and reports Goldman Sachs decided to break up. With their Bitcoin trading plans, Bob Pisani's at the NYSC with more. Hi, Bob. I'm just here for the music. Love it. It was one of the big rumors that helped fuel Bitcoin at its height last year that Goldman Sachs was looking to launch a crypto trading desk. Then CEO Lloyd Blankfein tweeted about that time that it was still thinking about doing something on Bitcoin. But nothing happened. And now a report from Business Insider says Goldman is shelving those plans due to regulatory concerns and Bitcoin 
is falling in response. Goldman refused to confirm or deny the report, but they did issue this statement. In response to client interest in various digital products, we are exploring how best to serve them in this space. At this point, we have not reached a conclusion on the scope of our digital asset offering. While Goldman never really acted on its plans, Bitcoin bulls have been pitting their hopes for a rally this year on two developments. First, that an institutional investor like Goldman would come into the space to drive additional demand. And second, that a Bitcoin ETF might be approved by the SEC. Now, neither of those have happened, and the lack of those catalysts will likely make it a lot more difficult for Bitcoin to move significantly, at least in the short term. Finally, Melissa, I can't help but notice the canopy growth. We talked about it the other day. One of the largest pot stocks hit another new high today, more than doubling in just the last three weeks. Seems like pot stocks have replaced crypto as the new fast money trade. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob. Thanks. Bob Pisani at the NYSE. So does this all mean that Wall Street is over Bitcoin and our Bitcoin's best days behind it? Let's bring in the man who says the crypto universe could be worth $10 trillion, RBC analyst Mitch Steves. Mitch, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. You know, the move by Goldman seems to underscore the fear that perhaps institutional investors have cold feet about Bitcoin because of the regulatory issues. I mean, should this be a concern for Bitcoin investors? So I don't think it's a really big concern. So first of all, the institutional investors that I speak with that have been involved for the last five years or so, they're still involved in the space and still track it very closely. So what I think Goldman is having a, a, a hard time with is they can't really find a way to get institutional investors to invest. So specifically, they are invested in Circle, which is essentially a competitor to Coinbase, right? So they're already able to get uh, trading flows in the retail side, but the institutional side is very difficult. And so I think what they're realizing now is probably the next step to get institutional money to kind of waiting now for a Bitcoin ETF to get approved. Um, you know, you, you first came on this show, Mitch, with your initial report, and that was saying that Bitcoin, the ecosystem, could be a trillion dollars. Have you pared that back at all? Have you adjusted that given the developments that we've seen in Bitcoin and given the price fluctuations we've no. seen? No, I mean, it really doesn't change it. So, again, I, I'll make the same comment I made earlier, which is you can't really look at this from a year-to-year -year basis, even though I know it gets a lot of traction if you do, do it that way, because basically it's like a venture capital investment where you're looking at 10 to 15 years, right? So, But if you really wanted to look at the near-term dynamics and why the trading's been negative this year, I would say what you're really waiting for is really two things in the next six to nine months. I think what you're looking for is an ETF to get approved. Mm -hmm. I think in order for an ETF to get approved, you need to own the underlying Bitcoin, uh, the last nine ETFs that were denied actually didn't own any Bitcoin, and they were based on future pricings, uh, like a gold ETN. And then secondly, I think there's still actually one more negative thing that needs to happen, which is I think all the funds that raised money uh, in Q4 of last year at the highs uh, for a cryptocurrency hedge fund, they'll probably start shutting down. Uh, so I think those are the two things you're probably looking at near term. But if we look at it from a technical perspective, uh -huh. everything is still tracking ahead of plan. All right, Mitch, we've got to keep it short tonight. Thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Always good to see you. Mitch Steves yep. of RBC. Pete, what's your trade? You know, Mitch talks about the five to ten year plan, and that's what we've heard a lot from a lot of the folks in this whole crypto world. So I think that's something that has to be kept in mind. I think if you're looking more short term, I like some of the, the plays outside of it, the, the secondary plays, AMD, for example, mm. NVIDIA. AMD has been flying, and we've been watching it for the last couple of days. All right, final trades next. Final trade time, Pete. You know, they all got hit today in the payment space. PayPal, I think this is an opportunity. It's going higher. Karen. In case you missed Pete and I on the 430 oh. hit, Target. <laughs> Gets right, you Cornell. done. There was a hit? Would say, yes, there was. <laughs> Steve. Twitter, you might give it a couple more days, but Twitter, I am still long. Gee. 
Love my groceries, you know that. You love your groceries. Kroger, okay. ahead of earnings, sister. All right, that does it for us. Thanks so much for watching. Stay back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Meantime. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.